Hello again, everyone. This is Teddy queuing up another edition of my podcast. Today I'm speaking with and delightfully listening to Eva Sage Gavin, a very accomplished executive, wife, and mother, not necessarily in that order. I met Eva early in her professional career when we worked on exploring her executive presence and presentation skills. Of the five companies we worked at together, we probably had the most time at Disney. It was there that I enjoyed watching Eva become a truly gifted speaker, far better than I have ever been. And it was during her transition to Disney that I first saw a quality in Eva that I came to recognize regularly and admire wholeheartedly as she and her teams garnered success after success. It was a fierce resolve, a strength of will, and she leads from the heart. Eva embodies the phrase, how a person does anything is how they do everything. After retiring from the Gap as Chief Human Resource Officer, Eva has recently re-entered the workforce as Senior Managing Director of Accenture's Global Talent and Organization Practice. She's also served as a Senior Advisor of the Boston Consulting Group and former Vice Chair of the Aspen Institute's Skills for America's Future. All those experiences and more barely begin to illuminate the qualities of leadership and humanity that Eva possesses. As you can tell, I'm a big fan. If you appreciate leadership, after you listen to this, I imagine you'll be one too. Hi, everybody. This is Teddy Tannenbaum with another edition of the Teddy Talk podcast. Our theme is Meetings with Remarkable People, Lessons in Leadership and Life. And today I'm delighted to have as a guest a longtime pal, Eva Sage Gavin. Eva and I have uh, had a personal friendship as well as a professional relationship for well over 25 years. I've worked with Eva at five different companies. And Eva, welcome. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. Teddy, it is so great to see you. And um, you're here talking about the topics that I'm most passionate about. Yeah. You know, we, we have, um, you and I have had kind of a ringside seat to observe each other's arc of growth and development in our respective fields over the years. So it's like, you know, we've, we've, had, we've, we've been observers in each other's lives over 25 years. So there's always a lot to catch up on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to just diving in here and talking about leadership, life, and uh, all that goes with that. Uh, tell us what you're up to today, and then we'll go back and talk about the arc of your leadership experience. Well, first of all, Teddy, um, you talk about observers in each other's lives. I consider you a teacher uh, and a coach, and uh, I'm I'm just so thrilled we're celebrating in some ways our you know 25th anniversary together yes. and. Yeah, that's probably a good place to begin because um, I'm on Chapter 3.0. Um, in January, I took on an extraordinary role um, at Accenture. Um, I lead a practice um, as the head of global talent and organization for Accenture, and I have the privilege of leading 3,000 people, um, serving customers all over the world um, on talent, on leadership, on organization. And, you know, I like to think about it's technology meets talent meets transformation. The things I've worked on for over 30 years, I'm actually getting to help clients with now full time right. with an amazing global team. Yeah. So, and this is an outward facing role. 
which is different than what you've done in the past as a CHRO. It is, Teddy, and it's um, the circle comes, uh, you know, closed, full circle. I started my career early on with an outward-facing role in technology That's for right, Xerox. Xerox. And I didn't know that I'd ever return to that because I'd been a chief HR officer and that was my life stream. I guess I realize you can have many life dreams. <laughs> I'm calling this 3.0 because the first chapter was the corporate service. Second chapter was my own business and um, I call it my executive Peace Corps and doing um, pro bono work. And this third chapter, I'm, I'm coming back full circle to serve clients and be back in technology and, um, and uh, now 100% external facing. So, um, you know, uh, putting my uh, practice and all that coaching I gave to C-suite executives, right. uh, you know, to good use. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a, a rich history, uh, all the different companies and all the different roles and all the lessons learned. Because I know over the years we've talked about, you know, we, we've... There's the highs, there's the lows, there's the successes, there's the challenges, and there's overcoming of challenges. So I want to dig into all that stuff. Uh, when I met you, it was after Xerox. That's right. And uh, it was Pepsi. Yeah. I remember we were, you were doing some labor relations work, and uh, I think I was coaching you on using a teleprompter for a presentation you were making. And uh, it seems almost ancient now. But I'm curious, when you think back to those days, right, and you first started out in HR, your first real leadership role, what was that like? And what was, what was new and dawning for you that you, and that you, what you learned in that leadership role? Yeah, there's so many to think about, but I, I'd almost go back before Xerox to an incredible life-changing opportunity. And it's sort of a theme you're going to hear about, um, you know, really trying to live what my dreams were. Um, and so it was at Xerox. Um, I'd come out of Cornell University with a degree in industrial and labor relations. And there's a long story about that. But, um, you know, I had this opportunity to work in technology and it was so exciting. And I was going to be in this rotational uh, assignment moving every six months and over a couple year period, you know, uh, being developed aggressively or assertively uh, to get into a managerial role. And along the way, I fell in love with um, uh, technology and I wanted to actually serve customers. My thinking would, would be someday when I'm a senior leader, I have to have done something that generates revenue or has direct customer exposure. Um, so that came early, that chance came early on. I'd been a recruiter for a technologist um, out of the Boston area, New right. England Employment Center, and um, I said, "Wow, all these people I'm hiring, you know, have a profile similar to mine. I can go do this." There was just this small thing. I was a woman, and it was the '80s, and it was technology, and so if you didn't know what could be done, what could you do? That was my story in the 80s. Right. So I raised my hand. Um, you know, I'd just come through a couple of assignments. There was strong sponsorship. And I actually got to sell technology sales. But the leadership part of this is it went really well. Mm -hmm. And um, I became the technology partner in Boston and started to work on major accounts as the expert. So the national account management team would bring me in to help them. And uh, all of a sudden now I'm working with some of the largest accounts or Xerox in the world. And um, I got a phone call um, from a name you'll recognize, um, the Mulcahy's. Uh -huh. And Mulcahy was a senior uh, professional in Boston. She was a branch manager. And Joe Mulcahy was the leader of the National Account Management Team. Wow. And they said, we're looking for someone who understands technology, 
national account management team, and who has an HR background. And we'd like you to um, step up and be the HR you know, director um, for the national account management team. 238 men and me. Wow. <laughs> and the coolest thing about that is, of course, I had resources and I had a team, but to earn the right of the respect of the top revenue-generating leaders to work for Joe Mulcahy, um, to see the future president of Xerox in action, a senior woman of Anne's stature, and to see her up close and personal, I had no idea what a gift I was given, and I was still, you know, mid-20s. Right, you were a pup. <laughs> a pup that, um, you know, we can talk a lot about that. But it was, um, it was a really affirming experience of um, take a chance, do something really unusual, um, be noticeable. Yeah. Um, and then when you have a chance to lead, I was leading with people 20 years older than me. Yeah. And it's somewhere early on there, someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, you should do this. You could do this. And that's an important through line yes. in leadership is when is to be tapped on the shoulder and to tap others on the shoulder yes. and challenge them to say, what's next? Yes. Right? So that must have been a profound experience, right? It was amazing. And you didn't ask this question, but um, you know, I thought about before our time together today, what gave me the confidence to do things that have never been done or are seen as quite difficult, particularly for the, the time? And, um, you know, it's one story I, I love to tell about. Um, I grew up in a single-parent family, right. and I saw my mom, you know, with three children, um, having to do a lot of work around a, a very old home. Um, and I thought, well, how am I going to learn how to do all this, you know, wallpapering and repairing? <laughs> and I just didn't have those skills. Um, and so um, I realized I wasn't um, really fascinated by going to home ec when I was in uh, around 12 years old in that junior high. So I applied to go to um, wood shop and metal shop. And I was 12, and my mother was a teacher in another town, and she s supported me knowing that it had never been done. Right, going against type. Oh, my goodness. This is 1970, Ted. Yeah. 1970, right? So we'd just come out of the 69. And I know I'm dating myself, but I'm dating myself yeah. with pride. Absolutely. Here we are. <laughs> I'm owning it. But my mom taught me how to be respectful, how to um, respond to the um, questions. Um, she also taught me how to um, work with the system, I had to speak to various teachers about why I wanted to do it. Uh, board members were involved. Right. Make a case. And I made a case, and it was very authentic. I literally said I've grown up without really a male influence. Um, you know, I, I need life skills I don't have. Um, I want to be more helpful to my family. I'd like to try it. I'd have no idea if I can do this. And they let me in. And the life lesson I learned was so many lessons, but the three big ones were, if you never try, you'll never know. The second was um, be respectful, have a business case, but don't blink. And I never blinked, and my mother was firmly behind me. And the third thing was it was a total blast. I got an A in both classes, and I learned to work in two all-male environments and actually produce things. I made a hammer, and I made a, um, <laughs> a wood shadow box, but it was a lesson that um, going into um, labor negotiations um, in my PepsiCo years right. with the Teamsters and the operating engineers, going into um, technology, um, I became very comfortable with being an only. 
And I learned how to um, find win-wins. And it is um, the greatest gift I think I ever received. And I also received it at a time when many young women become very self-conscious. We see them drop out of math class. And so it helped me as a mom later with my own daughter, with all the young men and women that I mentor, because it was nothing but a positive experience. I, I, you know... I uh, bec- I be- had friends in those classes that are friends today. Wow, wonderful! You know, I, I and we've talked about this before. I remember the sociology of uh, the sociology of the evolution of women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Prior to 1965, the workplace was white men. the The leading edge of the baby boom generation, which was about a little over 75 million people in the U.S. When the Census Bureau predicted there'd be 25 million people born, more than three times that showed up. And the leading edge of that baby boom generation was more diverse than any generation prior, entered the workforce in the mid-late 60s, and the workforce didn't have to deal with it. And then four years later, the leading edge of that group entered the workforce, and they were college-educated, and the workforce certainly didn't have to deal with that. And that's where I remember the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates realized they couldn't fit in to the existing corporations. But more than that, it was how does a woman be? How does a woman behave in an all male environment? And you've been on the leading edge of that, of of that next gen of that. So we'll get into that a little bit too. But I'm so curious about as you talk about 238 men and you, right? This has been a theme in your life, whether it was wood shop, metal shop, rather than home ec, or you know, <laughs> or tech, or, or tech, or or you know, working with the teamsters. I remember. I remember we were in a session in, I think it was in Sacramento, and, and you had to step out because there was something with the, with the union at mm-hmm. Pepsi that was demanding your attention, and you were right in there with those guys. With great respect. Yeah. I mean, that was the gift of a degree in labor relations, and it's still a gift today of you know finding a third way. Right. And um, you know we talk about, we're imprinted a lot with leadership in those early days, um, but central themes emerge. And um, this whole idea about, you know, um, it's not one way or the other, it's not right or wrong, it's not, you know, male-dominated or female-dominated, it's, there's a way to find the strength here, and sometimes it's not obvious, and it's extreme conflict, um, but I'm very proud of some of the relationships I've had that are, you know, not non-traditional, that we've done some creative things together, and um, I think that's been my symbol of success. Um you know, I'm proud to be a woman in the workplace, and I am incredibly proud to be in my 3.0 chapter. Right. But being at Cornell University, I arrived in the um, summer of 76, and um, it was a magical time. Um, there was a program called Women's Studies. There was a professor named Jenny Farley who influenced me. The school had been founded by that first generation, um, or been founded with the voice of Alice Cook, who was a major wow. leader. Uh, I'd come out of an educating background. My mother was um, the first, uh, she, she and teacher. my aunt, teacher of Emanuel College. She was captain of the field hockey team. Um, you know, she ended up being captain of the field or a coach for field hockey for women in our um, southeast Massachusetts area when there was no Title IX. The girls would have bake sales right. to get their equipment, and the equipment was always, you know, secondary. And so it was just, a, you know, I, I maybe I have rose-colored glasses, but I actually believed anything was possible. Right. 
And it was such a great experience. When I graduated, I had multiple offers. IBM and Xerox were the coveted offers. Right. I went with Xerox um, because Debbie Deborah K. Smith was a Cornell grad, 15 years my senior, and I was inspired. And right. I thought, if, if Debbie could do it, I could do it. Because in 1980, there weren't women that were 15 years ahead of you. Right. And, um, and it was an extraordinary 10 and a half years. Um, that technology, the Human Resource Foundation, um, we'll talk a bit about my 17 relocations. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I am definitely a life explorer, and those early years were time of unbelievable change. Yeah. And as you look to someone who was 15 years your senior, I know from hearing you speak and working with you over the years, there are so many women in the workplace today who have looked to you as women 15 years their senior and said, hey, if Eva can do it, I can do it. What greater legacy is there than that, than to inspire the next generation? So we'll dive into that as well. It's, it's a huge passion of mine, and it, um, it dominates everything that I do in terms of my um, anything in the community, my teaching. Right. Um, but we'll talk about yeah. some of my proudest moments and, and just trying to contribute and make a difference. Yeah, all about making a difference. Uh, Pepsi, and then you went to Taco, right? And that, was, that was your first VP job, right? It was, and I just had a brand new baby, my daughter. I got promoted uh, the day that I delivered Christina. <laughs> Uh, promotion in absentia. I imagine you weren't at work that day. Uh, well, I was. Congratulations, and um, you know, I think out of respect, it was let's let her, you know, have a successful delivery. But by the way, we have a job waiting for you. How fast can you get, get there? Back. Um, and that also involved a relocation from Northern Cal, That's actually, right. right here in the Bay Area in the East Bay, right. down to Southern Cal to uh, Laguna Niguel, right. and my husband leaving his law firm taking a full year off in 1995 right. and staying home with her. Uh, she was born on his 40th birthday. He literally went back to work on his 41st birthday that exactly one right. year later. Wow. Um, so that was very non-traditional in 1995 um, in Southern California to have, a, frankly, a husband whose career was more successful mm -hmm. than mine at that point and to suspend it and take an, you know, a non-paid leave, leave his firm, sell our home, buy a new home, right. and then raise a, a, a baby who was, at that time, we started moving when she was really a few weeks old. Yeah. So she's known a ton of moves in her life. She has. <laughs> um, I think we were calculating between the three of us, of the 17 I've done, um, at least seven of those involve Christina. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at, at, uh, at Taco, I think with VP of HR for Field, right? I had corporate, actually. Corporate, yeah. okay. Uh, some of the lessons learned, leadership lessons learned in those early days. Well, first of all, PepsiCo was incredible. I mean, I, I you mentioned Deborah, I mentioned Deborah, Deborah Smith, but yeah. Brenda Barnes of course. was my mentor at right. PepsiCo, and I could not have had a more extraordinary leader. So imagine that um, I was going to Taco Bell to gain additional uh, division experience and leaving Pepsi-Cola behind where Brenda was president. So that was a big change for me, yeah. a big risk, brand new baby, husband left his law firm, right. all the life you changes know. you can imagine. And um, I found myself as the uh, head of corporate um, vice, uh, vice president of HR for uh, Taco Bell. So let me just give you one number. Imagine having four presidents in 18 months and you're in charge of it all. 
that's my story of yeah. Taco Bell. Wow. The other thing that was amazing about that is um, I'd not been through a divestiture and the birth of a brand new entity, which was Yum Brands. Yes. And the respect I have for Brenda, you know, who was on the cola side, Pepsi Cola, and David Novak, who was picking up Yum Brands. It was an incredible time. Yeah. Well, I remember both these names so well. Oh, my Long goodness. ago, far away. And, I, you know, there's a long story about my continued involvement um, and admiration for both. But having said that, um, my job moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and right. I was incredibly honored to receive it and, you know, uh, see Yum grow. But my husband had just moved. We were now 18 months in with right. a brand new baby. My husband had been reemployed for 90 days. And um, we couldn't go to Louisville. There wasn't a law firm big enough for his, um, he's an executive director. Right. What the heck do you do? So, you know, one of the themes you're going to hear that we haven't touched on is sometimes a door closes and a window Another opens. Another door opens. And that window needed to be opened. And it led me, I, you know, no pun intended, to the most magical place <laughs> on earth, which was Disney. And it changed our lives forever. Yes. Um, the other thing I will tell you is just, you know, my time at PepsiCo was, it was the greatest learning experience of my life um, of leadership. There's something there's something I've noticed in the leaders I work with when I talk to them about the arc of their leadership. They always talk about those first days, almost like a rocket booster. It's, <laughs> it's more vertical, right? You hit stride differently early on. Because it's so fast and it's so much and it's so new before you get those experiences under your belt and then you level out a little bit and then it's a different kind of arc. So I, I, I get what you're saying about that. Those lessons, they're just so much more profound because they happen early on and we have no, in a sense, uh, we have no background in it. Yes. It's all brand new. Well, and Pepsi is famous for their articles and their work on muscle building, and it was in the water. Um, in my field in human resources, it was extraordinary. And the power of leadership, the power of taking risks on people, stretch goals, expecting the best, and um, you know, really giving them a chance to live up to it. Um, I'd had that early leadership exposure, you know, at at Xerox. Um, but the shift from tech to consumer, um, you know, today it looks like it was brilliant. At the time, it was highly non-traditional, right? Yes. Um, and then to be a senior woman. The other thing is the honor of guiding four presidents in 18 months, um, you know, in such an interesting stage in my life of change. It was extraordinary. Um, and um, it, I didn't know it at the time, but in doing my 2.0 chapter, I went to school on CEOs, and I did that with uh, G100 as a senior advisor, yes. CEO network, and I had the privilege of um, participating in um, developing the coaching advisory practice at the Boston Consulting IBCG. Group. It was an extraordinary experience, and um, you know the life of a C-suite executive and having that level uh, of intensity in an 18-month period of how to transition in and get a CEO up fast how to gracefully transition out. Also, the lesson learned of sometimes, no matter what you do or how hard you try, a business decision is made. That's right. Divestiture, job right. moves to Louisville. Um, I had many friends at Cola. I would have loved to have returned, but we had an agreement. You know, um, people have to stay on one side or the other for a period. And, um, you know, because of our, our uh, 
you know, situation. Um, we were at, uh, you know, a point where, um, my husband could, uh, you know, retain his law firm that he just started at and, uh, be nicely seated in Southern Cal where he'd had a great experience. Um, you know, uh, the window that opened for my daughter was one we'll never forget. Imagine having a two year old <laughs> working, working at Disney, Disney consumer <laughs> products <laughs> and someone hands you a silver pass where you get to go to Disneyland 50 times a year. Right. <laughs> and we went 50 times a year when she was two, when right. she was three, three, and when she was four. And one of our jobs was to actively participate as um, a parent. You could have your children um, try out um, some of our consumer products. Right. Well, my daughter volunteered to be on the princess costume team. <laughs> And every princess costume that came out in those years from, you know, 97 to 2000 right. was um, a volunteer. First in line was Christina. It was, um, it was the best time yeah. of our and lives magical. as a family. Yeah. And that was also your first global job. It was, I, and I, I got promoted to senior vice right. president. And I, I remember we, we, we spent a lot of time together in, during that transition. I remember us talking about, you saying, Wow, this is a global job, right? And never had a global job before. What, what's the implications? You know, how do I how do I do that? I remember talking about. Well, take a trip, go to Europe, go to Asia. When you come back, you say, "Yeah, I've got, I have global experience." You gave me a book, and it's downstairs in my library, and I've kept it after all these moves. And it's kiss, bow, or shake hands. Right. And one of the things I later learned um, through all the cool testing we do to you know self assessment, et cetera, right. is that. One of my top three, four traits is individualization. And it was such a time of learning and cultures. Um, it was an incredible honor. I mean, my regular route brought me to Hong Kong, Paris, London. Um, you know, our Latin American team was uh, led by a great leader out of Miami. Of course, key locations for me were Burbank um, and then Florida being Disney and New York, of course. And um, I just think I learned so much those years and I appreciate my early global staff being patient with me um, because I was the head of HR. So it's one thing to be um, a cultural visitor. It's another thing to have ultimate responsibility for labor practices. And there is a deep, deep and important responsibility when you have a global role. The other reality, and this is where themes start threading, is um, as, as phenomenal as that was in achieving my life goal of an explorer, I had a two-year-old at home, a husband in his you know, brand new role that he's just returned. And uh, many of the parents here that are listening know that um, you know, it's really hard to be on the road constantly with a toddler at home and a very intense dual career family. Yeah. Um, our uh, family was in Northern Cal. My family was in Boston. We're living in LA. And, um, you know, uh, my husband would, we didn't have iPhones then to take videos, say literally two minutes after you're out the door, she stops crying. But that doesn't relieve our parental guilt. And, um, and those were very heavy, heavy right. travel years. This was, I remember this period was this whole idea of, uh, what is referred to now as work-life balance. Yes. I, I always prefer to call it work-life integration. And there's a fallacy out there that a company is responsible for your work-life balance. A company, my perspective, a company may be responsible to help you have a flex work time, or flexible schedule, but you're responsible for providing that balance and how you manage pressure, stress, and how you integrate 
all the aspects of your life. And I know, you know, you've been very driven, right? And you have the reputation of driving yourself and driving others, and that you would never ask someone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. But you always raise the bar for people. And some people would rise to it, and some people wouldn't. And you're always there trying to say, well, what, is, what does it look like next level? That's right. What does it look like next step? How do we, how do, we do this better, right? So that period, you were at Disney for a couple of years? Three years, Three and years. it was, again, phenomenal. But I love your points here that pull out because they were very present in my mind then, which is, um, if anything, you know, especially being inspired by Disney, right? And the whole Disney vision of a greatness. And, you know, I often would ask myself when things were tough, what would great look like? If you could have any solution to any problem, you know, how would we show up on the other side? And I tried to apply that to my personal life as well. And I thought, you know, I have a toddler who's just in those ages where they really want to be with you. And I thought, you know what great might look like if I could take her with me. And again, this is more towards as she was getting, you know, a little bit older and understand that this is what mom does. And so those early years, um, some of our travel, uh, we would go as a family to Florida and Florida, Disneyland and Disney World are a bit different. Um, and the whole idea of, you know, when I'm working, this is what I get privileged to do. So one of the things you get to do at Disney is go to Disney Dimensions. Speaking of leadership. Yes extraordinary program that's the the most senior global leadership program it is and um it's you know typically for senior vice president level everything you've ever heard about it in my experience it's even better (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know how you get to be a 12 when the scale ends at a 10 but one of the things i got to do was we all get the opportunity to be a character and i got to be pluto um so i'm a dog and seeing little um, young boys and girls um, run up to me, and I learned how to sign a dog autograph in a costume with three fingers. <laughs> um, a skill These are life has, skills. These are life skills you carry with you to this day. That sil- serves me. And um, um, my daughter obviously wasn't with me on that trip, but she got to see the picture of me before and after being Pluto. And as a four-year-old, like she couldn't figure that out. And I still have that picture. And it was an incredible experience. And so when she, everyone would say to her, well, what does your mommy do? She said, my mommy's Pluto, the dog. (laughs) That, you know, that's what she thought my job was. She didn't remember, you know, Disneyland, Disney World. You know, I got to be with all the consumer products team. Phenomenal experience. I cherish it. My mom is Pluto at the park. Break it down to the simple, most basic That's thing. That's right. That's right. Wow. But but the leadership I learned there, Ted, the global experience. Right. I mean, these gifts were unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I remember a conversation we had once about uh, there was a fellow who was heading up DCPHR in Europe, and he was now going to report to you. And you said, you know, at Pepsi, they wouldn't have done this. At Pepsi, they would have just not given the job to either of us and see who survives, mm. Disney was a different culture. Mm-hmm. So it brings up this idea that every every company has its own culture, own unique mm-hmm. culture. From my, my experience and working with senior leaders for many, many years now, that culture is the one key differentiation, right? It's, it's what's going to attract the right talent. It's what's going to retain the right talent. And it's going to what, it's going to what allows you to be successful if you have a culture that doesn't waver, right? That has a North Star, and you can know what to expect and what's expected of you. 
your career, you know, kept on going, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you learned everything you were going to learn at Disney, and it was time to move on. Well, you know, this doors and windows is interesting because there's a third theme, which is family here. And so I really, truly cherish my time at Disney and uh, might still be in Southern Cal. Um, but uh, my husband and I have been married now 28 years. Um, in a minute, you'll get to meet our daughter, who's now, see her again in your right. case, Ted, who's 23 and family called. Uh, uh, Grandpa, who we all... Um, adored uh was diagnosed and was quite ill and my husband turned to me and he said we got to go home we got to go home right now because our daughter you know we moved her when she was a few weeks old to southern cal although we visited a lot i want her to experience her grandparents for however long we get and after he had reloaded so many times for me and left his career to support me um, you know, I, I completely got it. Um, and Disney was wonderful. They understood it. You know, we knew I just couldn't commute right. from San Francisco and do the job. And um, it was extremely understanding, supportive environment, um, left on wonderful terms. Um, and guess what? I got to go back to technology. Yes. That's, um... So back to those, those lifelong relationships, John Shoemaker, one of my ex most extraordinary mentors from Xerox, and our time together in El Segundo um, uh, sponsored me to be the head of HR for Sun Microsystems. And, um, you know, the, the, the dial turned again. Tech for the first 10 and a half right. years, then consumer, consumer with, frankly, two of the most extraordinary brands in the world with Pepsi and Disney, back to tech in the height of 2000, dot-com wow. boom. Right. And why not go to Sun Microsystems? Right. The network is the computer. Oh, my goodness. But guess what? Still not a little senior women. Um, yes. So another extraordinary turn. Um, opened the door by family. Um, so not actually wanting to leave Disney. But it was my destiny. It was our family's destiny. And the happy part about that is my father-in-law lived uh, well over five more years. Um, and my daughter and my father-in-law were as close as my husband and daughter, um, who we tease and we call them bees and carrots, right. <laughs> uh, born on my, my husband's 40th birthday. So that gift of work-life integration, of always following the two, true north for our family, and then having this incredible career door open, right. it looks, once again, Ted, brilliant. Um, there was a, there's a larger destiny playing. Yeah, and there's serendipity, it. right? Yeah. There, there's also... If, if you're talented and you're good at what you do and you achieve success by anyone's standards, the opportunities will always be there. So you may say family drives this, family drives the, the, the form, and yet you don't have – it's, it's a, in a sense, a calculated risk. Say, I'm going to reload, but I know that I'm good at what I do. I will be valued somewhere, right? The – I remember at that time, Scott, Scott McNeely, right? At, at Scott Sun. McNeely, right? Alexander, John Shoemaker. Right. And Scott said, uh, you know, we're, we're here to be the plumbers to the internet. And there's never been an internet before. So no one really knows what the plumbers to the internet do. And we're, we're kind of creating that. So that's also a breakthrough period of time. And I remember, though, you were, um, you were in line. You were there to, to be there to inherit the top job. Mm -hmm. And then that didn't work out. Something happened, right? 
Yeah, there were a lot of changes. I mean, um, you know, we're dot-com boom, and so Crawford and Beverage and I were both sharing dual responsibility. Um, and so he became the head of um, People and Places, and then I became the SV- I was the SVP of HR. Um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, I almost feel like Forrest Gump. What a party. <laughs> right. To be in the Valley in 2000 at the dot-com boom, explosive growth, stock was at an all-time high, and to be back in tech and to be a woman in tech again, it was incredible. Um, Now, many of us remember that that was also a time of unbelievable volatility. Um, You know, we haven't mentioned it, but Steve Jobs had been kind of a theme in my experience because when I was at Xerox, he was at the Palo Alto Research Center. When I was at Disney, he was at Pixar. Right. And now I'm back in the Valley um, with good friends from my tech days. And, um, of course, Apple's chugging along. Um, Microsoft's doing what they're doing. HP is doing what they're doing. And uh, we were doing what we were doing at Sun. And talk about a culture. Um, you know, a lot of these cultures are famous, right? The Pepsi culture, right. the Disney culture, the Xerox culture, those early days of innovation, but the Sun culture. Um, you know, there's so many stories, but um, my respect for this extraordinary um, heritage of engineers who truly reinvented the world. Um, we talk a lot about the April Fool's Day uh, jokes at Sun. But these were engineers who could ha- figure out how to suspend a car over, you know, a pond in front of the Scots office. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and to work with them, that was my um, main role, was working with the um, deep technical side with John and uh, the team. Yeah. It was fun. I learned so much, and it was like being back in those early tech days. And yeah, it was a roller coaster. It was, it was, it was moving pretty coaster. It was moving pretty quick, yeah. right? Ups, yeah. downs, all arounds. Stock was 50 when I got there. It was $5 when I left, <laughs> and, um, and it was an honor. And you know, to this day, I'm so proud to be you know, associated. And, and you know, we'll talk about 3.0 chapter. Wouldn't yeah. have happened for me without Sun in my history. Yeah. I remember uh, moving on from there, kind of chronologically, uh, you called me. And mm. it's always nice to hear from you, of course. But you called me, you said, you know, uh, I I I'm calling a few people because I just got my dream job, mm-hmm. and I'm calling a few people who kind of helped me along the way. I was honored to be one of those people that called, and you were telling me that you had just been named the chief human resource officer for Gap mm-hmm. International, mm-hmm. and this is the largest you know global apparel company in the world, right? At that time, and wow, what a position! So, what was the, what was it like to go from being back in tech for that brief period of time through that volatile period mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden emerge from that and be recruited to take on that CHRO job. You know, extraordinary honor. And um, a long time ago, people teased me a bit about this. My ultimate dream was to be the chief human resource officer. I was very specific in my dream for a company, you know, that had a large footprint in the world. Um, you know, back in those days, you know, kind of large to me meant, you know, over $10 billion. Um, So I was on my way with this great academy experience. And, you know, one of the legacies of my time at Sun is um, participating in the Leadership Academy we built there um, and meeting some of the, I mean, greatest people. So this theme of leadership now and culture and um, women and success and giving back in the community, education and access and opportunity was um, very motivating to me and something that's a constant thread. 
Um, interesting enough, though, the idea of lifelong connections, um, I got the opportunity at Gap because Paul Pressler had just been brought in to right. be the CEO. And Paul's head of HR had been the extraordinary woman who's a very dear, dear friend, Meg Crofton. Sure. Meg, of course, and I talked about, hey, Paul's up in your neighborhood. Um, and, you know, it was clear son was going to go on to do other things. Um, you know, I'd love to see the two of you together. Um, you'd known each other at Disney, but I'd never worked directly for Paul. So here the destiny circle closes again through Meg making the connection, opportunity to go uh, work for, you know, a brand I admired who doesn't and hadn't admired Gap in those years, right. and uh, to work for Paul Pressler, to work with the Fisher family. And I stayed uh, for 11 years. Um, I also had the privilege of leading through uh, multiple CEOs there. Right. And that was a fifth theme that was developing that fueled my 2.0 chapter. What an honor to work for 12 public company CEOs, 12. <laughs> I actually didn't think anything of it till the day that um, one of my PepsiCo colleagues walked in, Rusty Roof, and he said, When's the book coming out? Right. <laughs> I'm like, Rusty, because he's, uh, uh, if you're listening, Rusty. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're my role model. Right. <laughs> um, very innovative I, guy. Very innovative guy. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, no one survived 12 CEOs. You don't understand. You're the only one who has gotten retained through four at Taco Bell, you know, three, four now at, at Gap. Um, sometimes you're the only C-suite person who got retained. There's an art to that. Um, and he said, most of us go out with the change. A CFO and CEO will often shift with the CEO change. It was a real eye-opener. I, I was sort of like, why didn't I ever think about that? And it, it sang you know, in my ears about when I did leave Gap, I want to go study the life of CEOs. Yes. I want to be part of, um, one, how do more women become CEOs? Two, what is the leadership investment required to serve at the board and C-suite level? And what could I give back from all those years of learning from the 12 shifts, but you know, five global companies, and now I was on three tech boards. Yeah. So I'm curious, I remember the time of the most change, CEO change at mm -hmm. The Gap. I remember a conversation that we had at that time, and I was, uh, I was of Rusty's opinion, I thought, Eva, this is going to be, I think this will be hard for you to survive because as the head of HR, your utility is to help transition everybody else until you're the last person to be transitioned. So I was pleasantly surprised that you managed to maintain, and I, I would imagine, I'm curious about this, but I, I imagine that being the observer and being as neutral and objective as you can be and yet still have a point of view, held, served you well in that period. So I'm curious from your point of view, how did, how did you not skate through, it was not a skate through, but how did you in a sense survive that with the idea that wasn't like my goal is to survive. No, your goal was to be the chief human resource officer for a great global branded company. What were some of what you experienced in that, in that time to help you kind of work through that period? You know, this, this theme about your true north and doing hard things with great courage, but also trying to be as gracious as you can, I think serves one well. And, you know, one of the things that was so strongly supported at Pepsi is truth to power. And, um, 
you know, without getting into any names, there were people who um, I think felt that a clean sweep is the right thing. And I respect that. Um, so I often would meet with a new CEO and I would sometimes say, may I have the privilege of telling you things I don't think anyone will tell you. And they will be hard to hear. Um, and um, that question was sometimes greeted with, thank you. That's great. And other times with, I think I've done my homework. Thanks a lot. Right. Um, and then I'd say, okay, when you're ready, let me know. Because one of the things I've learned about feedback is it is a gift. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes really hard to hear. And, um, you know, we were trained um, in those early days that, you know, having courage, telling truth to power, and finding that true north and never blinking um, is incredibly important. And um, in some of the non-traditional industries I went in, and roles that required, you know, things that had never been done before, um, you had to know that if you had to put your badge on the table and say, my integrity or the ethics here is more important than employment, um, that you could do that. Yeah. So this comes down to what I call personal brand. Mm -hmm. You are who you are. And, you know, as Daniel Goleman of emotional intelligence fame once said, authenticity is when the story you tell yourself is the same as the story you tell others. So, how do you, you know, you walk that fine line. I've got to be true to myself. And my role here is to speak truth to power, right? I remember in the Pepsi days, one of the things I appreciated about that culture, the product didn't do much for me, frankly, but, <laughs> right? And I understand, you know, just the nature of corporations. These are human constructs. These didn't come from divine providence. These are human constructs. But so many of us spend our time and our lives there. So what do we, you know, there's not a lot of intrinsic value in, in what all happens here. So where is the value? The value is in what we bring to it, which is who we are and what we stand for. So I really, I value and, and honor that ability to be true to yourself. And in a sense, the way you talked about it, you know, with permission, you know, because you have, you can't always invite yourself in. You can encourage others to invite you in and bring a perspective that can help the entire organization, which helps the culture and the gap at 130 smart thousand people, right? Well, and, and this idea of um, bring others with you is a sub-theme, right, of the doors opening, the windows, et cetera. And, um, you know, everywhere I went, I left a successor. And um, someone said to me when I moved on from Gap, um, you know, um, are you sad to leave that chapter of your life? And it actually happened on, a, on my birthday. Um, my 55th birthday was when we announced I was going to move on. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And I said, oh my gosh, it's the opposite. And they said, why? I said, do you know how many people are chief human resource officers today that, that I had, um, I've mentored and, and grown? And tough. I, I always have had this role, kind of a chief of staff, and it's always been for high potentials rotating through. And, um, you know, it was often the reputation of if, if you want to get the, the most accelerated learning experience, take it with Eva. But um, there, you know, it is intense. Yes. And so I look at those leaders today, and they are, you know, out and about as chief HR officers. I left five people at the gap behind and groomed. All five got to serve. Wow. What an honor. Right. 
Um, and That's I could go through right all the there. names, but um, you know, you have coached and mentored many of them, yeah. and they're doing great things right now. Um, I write a leadership column that is a huge honor for me for HR Executive Magazine, and um, I get to write about leadership. And I get to see some of my mentees out doing new, cool, brave things. And it's courage. It's your true north. It's truth to power. Um, you know, it may be a point of um, finding the right moment. But when there is a moment of truth, there is a firmness and a toughness that has to exist. And I think my gap years, there are a few things that are publicly known that I'm very proud of. Um, you know, we face some really challenging situations in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're famous for our work with female garment workers, and that program wasn't designed by me. I had the honor of um, bringing Bobby Silton in to lead the foundation, and she deserves the credit for the PACE program, personal advancement, career enhancement. But I was there to see the years of extraordinary investment. Right. My one of my greatest days of my life for my 11 years was um, having Gap Inc. awarded the Catalyst Award for gender. To be able to go to the award with um, uh, Art Peck, the CEO, yes. I, I think the world of, with Bobby, with my team, and to sit at that honors table with a badge that read awardee, and to have Prime Minister Justin Trudeau be the right. other awardee, right. <laughs> uh, not well known, but I'm half Canadian. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get, get any better, better than, than that. Than right? that. <laughs> it was the greatest honor of my yeah. life. And, um, you know, we worked very, very hard um, to change the face of retail, to change the face of how we think about supply chain. I also got to work on the worker safety agreement for Bangladesh. Yes, I remember that. And that opened me up to um, a, a life of um, public-private partnerships under extremely difficult situations. Right. And that partnership still in place and making a difference. And, you know, frankly, that led me to um, work with Aspen Institute. I was going to say, that's the Aspen Institute Skills connection. for America's Future and, um, you know, a whole 2.0 chapter that I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah. One of the themes here, Teddy, that I want to make overt is people say to me, you know, sometimes they have one industry in their profile. My gosh, you worked with um, food workers at Taco Bell, truck, dr truck drivers at PepsiCo. You worked with, um, you know, labor and you worked with garment workers at um, Gap in 50 countries. Um, and you work with the smartest people in the world in technology. Like, how could you do that? And my point was all about this education and access and opportunity that every human being wakes up in the morning and they want to have the best day they can have with whatever cards they've been dealt anywhere in the world. And if you can open a door to some kind of um, the dignity of work, to get income into your family and anything you can do to access education, to be great at what you do, it's a better day. And that's been the meta theme. And so whether it was women at Taco Bell without even a GED who were working in downtown LA that got to be store leaders uh, who were multilingual, sometimes they were coming through extraordinarily difficult years and they were single moms, three or four kids. I mean, you know, to see them honored at these store conferences. David Novak has a walk of fame, you know, in my Oh, in my nice. um, experience with Taco Bell and Yum, and to see these faces on the wall, 
um, and to know these store leaders, right, and what they came through to earn that honor of leading a crew of 200 people was unbelievable. Yeah. And I also got to see that at Gap. It, it was life-changing. Then to be able to do it in country and to see female garment workers with none of those privileges, you know, create some dignity of work, some income, and, and get these life skills where they could then become a supervisor. You know, a lot of parts of the world, there's a lot of domestic violence, and we know that payday was often a day of um, great violence. Yes. Um, if you now have income and you can become a supervisor and you can have more income, even if you hadn't been teached, um, taught basic literary skills, basic math, basic writing your name, now you can be through this PACE program. And we saw some women bring that into their home where their sons could have access to basic education, but their daughters couldn't. And they began to um, uh, transfer that knowledge to their daughters. I know these sound like, wow, you know, but this is the reality. I had the privilege of leading the social responsibility team at that time. It was called CSR. And we were in factories with young women who were um, surveying for safety and for violations of our code of um, supply chain, our, our code of conduct, vendor conduct. It was an incredible life experience. It was really a general manager for me, right. and it began to expand yeah. me back to where I started in the early days. Yeah, I remember um, one of the breakthroughs was, one of the challenges with the supply chain at that time was oftentimes companies with third-party those right. things out, and the third party wasn't didn't hold themselves responsible the way you expect them to. So you guys changed all that and made sure there was a direct connection. And that was a breakthrough. And a lot of other companies then followed suit to do that. That's that's a that's a huge deal. That's like saying, hey, you know, this is not something you just farm out. You, you know, if you're if you're if we mean what we say about this, we have to deal with it directly. So I really admired that at that time. I remember when that was happening. Well, and back to seeds of greatness that became um, realities. Um, the extraordinary sponsorship of the Fisher family was amazing and the code of vendor conduct that um, was put in place before I arrived by the woman that I followed, Ann Gus Brown, the first yes. lady of California, yes. who I have the utmost respect for. Dan Henkel, you know, who's yes, know an incredible leader in, in this field. And, you know, my job where I saw greatness was to amplify it, scale it, and back to your point, bring everything to the highest order it can serve. Right. Um, and the highest order it served me for those years of all the awards we won of corporate citizenship, of gender, and the Catalyst Award, um, you know, of the um, success we had. You know, the stock was uh, less than $10 when I arrived. <laughs> it was over 40 when I moved on. And but some ups and downs in between there. Some big ups and downs. Um, you know, so um, when, when um, everyone can win and participate in that, it's a good day. But it opened the door to real, true service, and I did serve in those years as Vice Chairman of Skills for America's Future. Right. In 2010, um, post the horrific unemployment of 2008, we were called by Penny Pritzker at the time um, and asked how, it was six uh, CHROs from multi-industry, how could we get people back in jobs? You'll remember how difficult those years were, and um, I was one of the first six to stand up 
and answer the the call um, and create this coalition that became Skills for America's Future. And then to be the only um, HR professional on the board with all CEOs, with um, Secretary Pritzker, before she became Commerce Secretary, right. was my open the door to board service. Right. And then it goes on from there. When I left Gap, I actually served my life dream. I'd never um, got into the Peace Corps. I, I <laughs> you know, frankly, I, I was uh, on that, you know, working poor line for so long that um, I just couldn't afford the time. I didn't pay off my student loans till just before I got married, uh, when I was almost thirty. So um, I, you know, have a few things I didn't get to do. I didn't get to finish grad school. I'm mm-hmm. still working on it. I didn't get to serve in the Peace Corps, but I decided I was going to make my own Peace Corps, and yes. I was going to have an executive Peace Corps. And so post-GAP, I um, had a portfolio life where I taught at Cornell as executive in, re- right. executive in residence at the Industrial and Labor Relations School right. and vice chairman of, of Aspen Institute's Skills for America's Future. BCG then came into the picture towards the end of that period, and um, G100 and my three technology boards. Yeah. And so back to my point about, you know, if you can imagine a dream, that was my dream. And doors that I'd never imagined, board service, you know, the honor of serving Cornell. Everything that I have today on the technical skill development, I owe to Cornell University. And I I can never pay back enough. And I I will, my whole life, it will be a commitment. And uh, then to be the first woman on two tech boards was, you know, closing that loop and opening the door for others. Wow. So much and so little time. Somewhere along the line, you used to make a presentation called, If I Knew Then What I Know Now. I would love if you could just give our audience a little highlight of that. You know, I, I thank you for asking about it because it's probably a good place. I know we're probably close to time. Um, I actually got to give, I'd say, the um, thoughtful version of that because you and I talked about that back in the 90s. And um, I thought that was a big high-intensity time. Um, <laughs> uh, about two years ago, um, I was asked at the United Nations um, Forum for Women's Economic Empowerment to speak about leadership. And that was the theme, um, if I knew then what I knew now, because I am now in a mentor role, a legacy role, That's and right. I'm now in a full client service role. Right. So after 35 years of um, achieving that goal of chief HR officer and serving for 11 years, I now serve clients. And, and now, you're, so cool. now you're a CEO and, and, uh, of your organization with a P&L. It's a whole different world. Well, thank you for promoting me to CEO. <laughs> I'm technically senior <laughs> managing sure. director, yes. but I try to behave you know, with this extraordinary global business uh, every day. I hold myself to that highest standard. How Absolutely. about that? Um, having said that, what I said on that stage, and and um, I, I thought of you as I addressed that audience with great honor. Uh, this was, again, the UN um, uh, address for the Women's uh, Economic Forum Conference. Um, there were three big meta themes. One is um, uh, networks versus ladders. Um, you know, the other was this whole idea of opening doors for others. And the third was the courage to drive change. Um, and those, I think, were the meta themes. What I mean about um, networks, not ladders, um, is this whole idea about in the old days, it was making your way up one rung at a time. Well, I'm sitting here in a very non-traditional way. I've now had five global corporations. I call it eight ecosystems, if you include the three boards. 
And the very thing that I've gone to school on of the privilege of serving in a client facing role, you know, running, you know, a business, um, you don't see that that often for a CHRO this deep in your career. And you know how it happened? It happened through those networks. Those networks that started in um, junior high by taking woodshop and metal shop (laughs) and developing the life skill of being an only and making it really positive for myself and others. The life skill of not letting go to meaningful personal relationships, regardless of what they did for you, it was never about that. It was always about, this is someone who, you know, um, you, you affirm each other to both be better. Even if it's sometimes hard, because your best friends tell you things that are hard to hear. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes have to swallow hard, and that lesson take comes. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Um, and so all these years later, almost everything in my life now is these networks coming together. And we have fancy words now. We call them ecosystems. All I know is that um, every day I'm proud and, you know, I sit here with, I don't know, 5,000 plus people connected on LinkedIn, you know, 3,000 people in my team. Um, And, you know, as my husband always said, you never were about managing up. You were always about managing sideways and down. And he said, and I never got it until the last few years. That is the ultimate. The ultimate honor is to have a network of people who you learn from. And then when you go into your new ecosystem, um, they're there to open doors. They're there to do reverse mentoring. They're there to bring you back into tech and retrain you after an 11-year absence. Um, So that network, not ladders, the opening doors for others and nurturing your network, and then courage. The courage to say when something isn't right. And not all my conversations were gracious, Ted. Mm -hmm. I had to enact the badge on my table more than one time. A lot of those were private conversations. Um, You can guess some of those moments of truth. Um, I'm really proud of that. And I'm really proud that I could go home and look at my daughter those nights when I wasn't sure if they would accept my resignation because I stood for what I believed in. And every one of those times, the right thing was done. And it did give me a reputation of that. She's a a badass. Mm -hmm. In a good way. In a good way. And I'm proud of that reputation yeah. and I embrace it because yeah. you know what? Being a leader is very lonely. And yeah. sometimes a door closes and only two people know what was said. And you have to do what's right. Yeah. I, that thing about being lonely, a large part of my consulting practice and coaching practice over the years has been with CEOs. And I've heard more than on one occasion no one else talks to me the way you talk to me. And I'm very proud of that, right? Something I learned over time is that you have to find that North Star, as you talk about, you have to find that place of authenticity and you have to have the courage. And it's not recklessness. It's the courage to pursue the truth and what success, what we agree upon as success without wavering, right? It's one of the things I've admired about you all through your career, right? And it's a sense it's a guilt-edged career, even if you didn't expect it to be that way, right? And now, yeah, 3.0. Hey, me doing this podcast is my third act, right? It's like giving back. Because I've met extraordinary people like yourself, and I go, wow, I've got a network of people. They would love hearing from someone like Eva Sage Gavin. So I'm just delighted. And we didn't even 
get into all the other things we have in common because we've both been on a spiritual path for some time and we've often intersected around that. Maybe we'll make that, you know, podcast 2.0. It would be my greatest pleasure. And um, thank you for including me. Um, this is a, this is a special day for both of us. And uh, if we can help anyone who's listening in any way, um, you know, to be in legacy is really cool. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm honored, Ted. You've been my coach, and, and I've often credited you. You got me a breakthrough, you know, on, on something that needed to be done. I had a fear of public speaking, and uh, now I have the honor to speak at the UN. Yeah. Um, I think the largest group is 5,000 people. Um, it would not happen if it weren't for you and you coming into my life forever. So thank wow. you. Thank you.